I'm Feeman Rowe. Welcome to Live Like You Are Dying, the podcast. My personal journey of living with terminal cancer has led me to believe that most of the perceived problems and worries going on in our heads could be changed by embracing the simple fact that we all only have one life and that none of us are promised another day on this beautiful planet we all call home, regardless of our current health status. After all, Would you seriously stay in the job you hate or the relationship that makes you miserable if you truly thought your life could end next year? Hell no, you'd be out doing the things that make you happy and you certainly wouldn't be worrying about your dress size either. In this groundbreaking podcast, I interview people who are living incredible lives, not despite adversity, but because of it. Through their inspiring stories, you too will uncover the life-changing magic of living like you are dying. Your journey to a more connected, joyful and compassionate life starts right now. Hello, before you go on to the podcast, I wanted to drop in with a short note. This interview lasted over an hour, which is much longer than most of my interviews, but it felt wrong to cut it back because the insight, compassion, gratitude and wisdom that Sarah Green shared with me was so precious that I wanted you all to experience exactly what I have. It's well worth listening to all of it. It will change you for the better. I for one know I will never be the same again after having had this beautiful conversation with Sarah. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Today I am joined by Sarah Green. Sarah is an award-winning presenter and actress who has hosted and starred in iconic British TV shows ranging from Blue Peter, Going Live and Hollywood and Doctor Who. Sarah positively excels in a live TV environment and has interviewed everyone from Margaret Thatcher to Cher's illustrious career. Starting out as an actress, Sarah was handpicked by Blue Peter's legendary editor, Biddy Baxter, to become its youngest ever presenter. While Sarah was working on the show, it picked up the BAFTA for Best Children's Programme. Moving on from Blue Peter, Sarah presented Saturday Superstore, followed which she co-presented with Philip Schofield. Both shows dominated the ratings and that popularity was very much down to Sarah's great chemistry on screen, both with her co-presenters and her natural ability to interview guests while also working with the likes of Gordon the Gopher. (laughs) Moving across into primetime proved effortless for Sarah and she has presented and co-produced hundreds of successful shows, including Posh Frocks and New Trousers, Hospital Watch, holiday and programmes across the Food Network channel. Along the way, Sarah has anchored the London Morning Breakfast Show on BBC London Radio, solo hosting a live three-hour phone-in show with the listeners discussing the daily news. Sarah's skills at mediating, chairing and presenting events have also seen her hosting many award shows and corporate evenings throughout her career working for companies such as Nestle, Mars, Standard Life and the government's green initiative to name but a few. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining me. And thank you, Fee, for asking me and for uh, going through that very generous introduction. Um, The overwhelming feeling I get is that I must be very old. (laughs) (laughs) 
to not at all. That's that. quite an impressive bio. I, I have to say, I did start when I was three. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> she lied. Mm. <laughs> no, it's, it's amazing. And you've been, you know, such a big part of my life on the television as well. So I'm reading that and I'm like, wow, God, that's just so much of my upbringing and my family life. And it's just such an honor to be interviewing you and to have connected with you in the past as well. Thank you so much. But that means that I'm the one to blame for all the all the, all the naughty things you've got up to so far. <laughs> That's what I'll now tell my mum and dad. It was Sarah yeah. Green's fault. <laughs> yeah, it's all my fault, and I hope that it always will be. And I love go, that. <laughs> could you tell the listeners a bit about yourself? In this situation with you, Fee, it really is because, as you know, I am. A, um, I think your book is extraordinary, and I love your approach to life and your, uh, your whole approach in, in, in your healing. And um, it's, 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 a, it's a bit of an ambition of mine to, to do this with you. So it's, it's one of my ambitions achieved. Oh, thank you, Sarah. You'll make me cry. <laughs> um, oh, no, no, that's not the idea at all. <laughs> <laughs> Could you tell the listeners a bit about yourself beyond this your work bio, so a bit about who you are as a person and the life that you live. Uh, yes, I can try. I can try and do that. I would say my priorities, as they tend to do as your life moves on, my priorities have shifted. Uh, I would say that um, until I, certainly until I met, Mike, my focus was very much around family life with with my immediate family, um, but I was work driven, so work driven, um, and that was partly because I enjoyed it tremendously, uh, but also it, it had always been the goal that had been placed in my mind, possibly by my parents, and it wasn't that I, I, I was a, a goody two-shoes and did exactly what my parents told me. No, not anything like that. But I did see that I wanted to be an independent woman. I wanted to earn my living, never be dependent on anybody else. And I think that sort of drove me a great deal. That changed significantly and has changed over the years. And I would say that my priorities now are love loving life family friends and then work um and and, uh, that's been the big significant change i think in my life because of the things that i have been a party to witness lived through um and those would include bereavement certainly uh and it, it does change your perspective entirely. Um, and it can sometimes make you a little bit impatient with other people, if I'm honest. Maybe not, maybe impatient is too strong a word, but maybe a little bit bewildered by some of the things that uh, aggravate people. And you, you just can feel sometimes, really? Is that a big problem? Really? Getting your nails done? No, I can see that that would be a problem in some circumstances. But, you know, I suppose one's priorities change and you learn how to laugh off 
smaller problems. Um, and, and that's not meaning to sound in any way condescending or saying that my uh, set of values are in any way better um, than, than anyone else's. It's just the way I now perceive life. Um, I, I take it very seriously, but I want to enjoy it more. Absolutely. And I think that's the key, isn't it? It's about getting that balance. And I can certainly relate to life before my own diagnosis. The things I used to worry and stress about and think were big things now are just laughable. And it is that same, almost that frustration you get when you see people still caught up in that and actually missing the essence of living. Yeah, I, f- I find it's, it's a challenge, though, isn't it, Fee, with yeah. um, being understanding about people's frustrations um and and their goals because things do the size of problems or the size of joys change really according to the space allotted to them and it's a little bit I can't remember whose law it is now but there is this law I remember Simon Groom on Blue Peter telling me this he said work expands because he left everything to the last minute and he'd always say (laughs) work work expands according to the time allotted to it in other words if you started something two days before it's going to take you two days if you leave it till five minutes before it's only going to take you five minutes (laughs) you know but I think that that applies in other ways as well that sort of proportional uh, a, a, a pr- approach to to life, um, and I don't know. I, I I try to understand other people's frustrations and how important they are to them, even though I might be thinking, do you know what? So that doesn't fit. Wait and and and, and get another size or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I, but I do remember actually thinking back to in 1988 an age ago, uh, I was involved in quite a serious accident um, and essentially sort of fell out of the sky in a helicopter. And I absolutely knew, even while it was happening, that I was going to survive. I mean, I just took it for granted. Um, However, um, I was told in hospital later on, you know, there could be significant changes to the way you can live your life in terms of mobility. Um, and I was determined to prove them all wrong. And I like to think that I did. And, and, and they were thrilled because, you know, they were the people helping me to learn how to walk again and everything else. But I remember a friend coming in and visiting and he had suffered a heart attack the year before. And he said, I bet you feel really elated, don't you, Sarah? You've got this permanent sense of elation about you. I said, absolutely. He said, don't worry, that'll wear off. (laughs) But I don't want it to. He said, no, but it will. Now, sure enough, part of it did. Part of it did wear off. But I don't think I have ever, ever lost, even in the deepest, darkest moments, and there have been some, I don't think I've ever lost an essential optimism. Um, And perhaps that's misguided. I don't know. Or perhaps it's genetic. I don't know either. Or perhaps that's happened over the years that somehow or other um, I've become more optimistic. I- I'm-, I'm not sure, but this is all your fault for you. You asked me this little <laughs> insight into how I am as a person. And I'd say that I am 
uh, cup sort of overflowing type person. And I don't just mean in the bosom department either. But <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's it it is that. And there are. I'd be lying if I said that there, there weren't some very dark moments that I've been through. But I am so lucky in the people that I have around me in my life and people that have come into my life who've somehow come along at just that right moment to pull me out again. And that's why I say that, you know, I think love and the person you love has got to be the priority, really. Do you think when I'm hearing you talk, the word that kept coming to my mind there was gratitude. And do you think gratitude even within the the dark moments or do you think what am I trying to say yeah do you think that that is needed or do you think it's that we need the dark moments to appreciate the good moments do we need that balance that yin and yang or what are your thoughts around that yes I think I think if I look at it in a very mature philosophical way I think what you're saying is absolutely right of course at the time I'd say no stop that (laughs) I don't I don't want balance of darkness and light. I want it all to be light. <laughs> I really do. Um, but in retrospect, pulling oneself away, perhaps you wouldn't, maybe you wouldn't appreciate the, the, the bright glowing moments. It is weird. Something that you said reminded me of, of a, um, f- following the accident I mentioned to you. And I completely recovered from that and, and, and felt this extraordinary gratitude and felt that I had to say thank you. I had to say thank you to someone. I thanked all, all the, the, the people who'd helped me get better. I tried to thank my family. I tried to thank my partner. I, I tried to keep thanking. And it got to the stage where I thought, well, there, I must have guardian angels. That's what it must be. So a friend of mine took me along to the British Spiritualism Association, which was in a very, very fancy schmancy part of London. Um, but it was in this, this great big house in Belgrave Square. But when you went in, it was a bit ratty and old inside with sort of plastic bucket chairs. And you had to wait to see your spiritualist person who was going to put you in touch with your <laughs> your, your your guardians, if you like, around you. And I was expecting someone who looked like Madame Arcati to drift out, you know, in flowing robes and and lots of candles and incense. And it was none of that. She was really down to earth. And and I sat down opposite her and and she sat there and she was just one of those people who's instantly so centered and so, and I'm putting these big inverted commas around, so normal. Um, She was just like my auntie. And she said, (laughs) Sarah, the first thing I have to tell you is you can stop saying thank you. And I, my jaw dropped because I hadn't said anything to her at all at this stage. Wow. And I'm, okay. I said, well, that was my main reason for coming here. She said, yeah, they know. They know you're grateful. Now just get on with it. <laughs> and make of that what you will. And I still haven't made up my mind about any of it. I really haven't. I mean, as time goes on, I get more and more confused, really. Uh, <laughs> I get wiser. I get crazier, I think. But um, that, that, was, that was quite something because that was exactly why I'd gone in there. 
That's so interesting. So it's very weird that you then focused in on the word gratitude. Because yeah, um, it's just, I really felt it was coming from you that kind of, you know, to, I laughed because when you, when you, in 19, 1988, did you say? So I was yeah, that's three. Right. So right. I, um, I wasn't aware of that. And so when you were saying it, and I was just trying to listen to your thoughts around it, and that's all I got was this deep gratitude that you'd gone through that but had survived it and that you could walk and that you could do you know what I mean and so yeah, yeah the word just came yeah well I think that was part of the whole elation as well that that mixed in with the elation was was huge gratitude um and and a lot of that I hope is still with me because I think it's a good it's a good it, it, it's a good feeling have around you especially on those days when you get very angry about when one gets very angry about things um not not to try to try not to forget how you felt then you know and bring Mm -hmm. it forward pull threads of it pull strands of it forward with you something else that really struck me when you were talking is um you said you knew you were going to survive yeah Um, what how in what way (laughs) How okay. is it just well, the knowing or a... tell you how it manifested itself was was um I don't know if anyone else described to you what it's like being in, in, in an accident or whether yeah. you've ever felt this. Um but everything slows down. Have you have you ever had that experience? Yeah, I've had it with information, but I've never been touched with never been in an accident. But I know uh, what you're meaning, yeah. It, well, everything everything slowed down, and I just thought, right, this is really going to hurt, and it's going to make a lot of noise, but it's it's going to it's going to stop, and when it stops, I will get out of this aircraft because I was in a, a helicopter, um, and once it stopped, I will have to get us out because there are two of us in it. And it did, that's exactly what happened. It rolled over, there was a lot of impact. I could feel things happening to me, but then it stopped. And I tried to take my seatbelt off and I couldn't. And I looked at my arm and it was in bits all folded back around itself. But instead of kind of passing out and being horrified, I became completely pragmatic i.e. there was absolutely no question that I was going to get out. And then I could feel a sort of dripping on my face. And I put my tongue out to try and taste it. And I could taste fuel. And I thought, that's bad. That is very bad. Because I can also hear an engine ticking over. So I don't want to catch fire. So I have to get us out of here. So I used my other hand to try and (laughs) release the seatbelt. Never once, Fee thinking this is crazy I'm going to go up and we're all going to go up in flames any minute why am I even trying to do this I must be in bits never thinking that and then getting the other seatbelt sort of released and then thinking god I really feel tired here and then trying to move my legs and not being able to move them and at that point um help came um rescue had arrived but it was just a case of getting on with it and just getting out 
and never once questioning the fact that I perhaps shouldn't even be alive. It was it was as curious as that. So it was then in retrospect, I thought, well, why why did you what, what was that about? And I realized it was the fact that I absolutely knew it never occurred. It wasn't a case of saying, right, I know I'm going to be alive. It was a case of I mustn't pass out because if I pass out, I might not get us out. Wow. It, it, it was it was as straightforward as that. You describe that, um, which does sound terrific, but you describe it with such a serene calmness and almost what I was really interested, you never mentioned pain when you were discussing that. Did you feel pain? Does adrenaline kick in? I'm now just very curious. And I did not feel any pain. I have to say that once we were out of the helicopter, um, and the ambulance had arrived and the fire brigade, I think I was injected with something very strong because not only did I not feel pain, but I remember thinking that everything I said was inordinately funny and <laughs> jokes and looking at people's faces, looking at me in a horrified way because I must have, I know I looked a terrible mess. Um, and, and, and they were looking just horrified and it, the, the, it just made me laugh. So it was like being drunk, actually. And I don't remember feeling any pain till, gosh, probably three or four weeks later when the healing process was very much underway. Um, and, and I was, you know, trying to, trying to walk and everything. And that was very painful. But I don't remember. I think it was probably, I don't know, 65, 70% adrenaline, 30% painkiller, really. Wow. And how does that experience change how you live and perceive your life? Um, it, it, it does change everything because you know that miracles can happen. You know there are second chances. And uh, once you have that knowledge and you live with that, it's, it's not just knowing that it can happen. It, you're actually experiencing it happening. And so it probably... On the one hand, again, going back to the grateful gratitude word again, but it probably makes you feel that you have got to live it to the full, but maybe it makes you take more chances in a funny way. And that might not be a good thing because it it might fill you with a sense of a rather... Um, not not a cavalier approach to safety, I don't mean that, but it may be a slightly more maverick approach to life, saying, well, I, I, I've, I, got, I did it. I got back from that. And I, I, mustn't, I mustn't let that close up my path to experiences. I should make it open up the path to further experiences. And I don't mean nasty, terrible accidents. I just mean don't necessarily play it safe all the time do you feel a bit invincible I don't no I, I don't feel I may have felt invincible and I don't feel invincible now no no I think that does change as time goes by um and again it's one of the things in life that you probably um you 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 realize more and more how precious life is but perhaps I don't know you you there's a part of it where you think maybe there are second chances and maybe 
this maybe maybe and again I have no answers on this fee um, I wouldn't say I'm a religious person I'm not but anything else that might be out there I would put it down to science rather than religion um, and I think that we don't know an nth of what there is to know. Obviously, we don't. Um, but there might be second chances. There might be a lot more to it. And I mean that in a scientific way. Yeah, we just don't know, do we? Which is so fascinating and exciting, I think, that we don't know everything. We've not got all the answers. You know, that's such a good word. Exciting. Yeah, it is. It is exciting. Um, uh, the, the, the fact that, that possibilities are endless. I mean, I've been, I've been so, um, in one way, nostalgic, but in another way, whatever the opposite of nostalgia is, excited for the future, as we've been looking back over the 50th anniversary of that first lunar landing. Yeah. And I've been watching that footage and I remember seeing it as a, as a little girl and thinking how magical it was and then sort of reliving some of it now and just thinking, no, this can't be all there is. This really can't be. Well, it isn't all there is. But because I can't get my head around infinity, I can get my head around the fact that there must be a reason that there is infinity. Um, sorry, am I going off on a complete No, this is, this is right up my street. <laughs> but, but is it really? Is it, though? I mean, do, do you get... I sometimes feel dizzy with the thought of trying to... trying to get what infinity is. But there's well, got to be a reason for that, hasn't there? I think when I think of the universe and the... I'm, I, yeah, it's that thing of, like, but how does it not end? How is there no end point, which is what... You know, that is what infinity means. It does blow my mind and... And there must be more and there must be so much we don't understand. And you do see, I'm also not a religious person, but you do see these miraculous things happening every single day. And yeah, it's just, I'm just in, const, in a constant state of awe, I yes. think. And it's just wonderful, actually. And it is exciting. And it is because there's just new stuff being discovered and found out all the time and nature and science. It's just all so fascinating. Yes, and, and, and there is a part of me that thinks that perhaps we're not meant to understand it at this stage in our development, that our brains aren't set up to be able to um, fully encapsulate what infinity means. Yes. Well, encapsulate's a stupid word because that's all about <laughs> an end to something. And, of course, that's, you know, I've just, I've just betrayed my own ignorance now in that it's it's about not encapsulating isn't it it's about opening opening up and and trying to I, I'm sure that Stephen Hawkins he understood infinity I wish that I could understand it and what it's about um and it, it, you know if there was well there was a big bang what was before it and what's on the outside of it and what happens next and maybe we're not meant to know we're just not meant to know yet at this stage in our evolution I think you're right I think for me it really struck with me and I was like yeah that's it when you said about our brains aren't ready yet I don't think they've evolved enough 
to handle. That's it. I think you're right. But I think it can be, going back to that initial thing we were saying about frustrating about people worrying about things when you have that kind of insight into what life's about. I think when you were talking there, it really struck me that there's all this universe and this science and this nature we don't understand. And yet at human level, people can be caught up in social media or in um, reality TV shows, almost numbing their brain. So there seems to be these kind of two polar opposites happening at the same time in many regards of life. So in, in terms of that, but then also in terms of the living the life or getting stressed about the small stuff as well. That's so true. That is absolutely true. And 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 as someone involved in 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 broadcasting, I, I, I'm finding it's as well as becoming a very fractured business in terms of the way in which the different platforms that we can go and watch things or broadcast things, um, upload things, download things, watch in our own time. Um, th- those, those polar opposites that you just described seem to be moving further apart. Mm-hmm. And on the one hand, there is this race to the bottom of the lowest common denominator accessibility. And on the other, there seems to be, there, there, there are some beautifully crafted, I know this is subjective fee, I, I do appreciate that, but, but I'm gonna say it anyway, that, that there just seems to be this gaping chasm bet- between the worst and the very best. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that sort of reflects what you're saying about our, our, our lack of thirst for knowledge on the one hand and the extraordinary advances being made on the other. It's fascinating, isn't it? When you see it, you can, yeah, you can almost see the line and the polar opposites in so many aspects. And I think they relate also to that living your life to the fullest and the sweating the small stuff. They're almost like the two the two parallels are, they're simultaneous, if that makes sense. Yes, they are. And, and you know, there is nothing wrong with, 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 with sweating the small stuff, in, in, I, I believe, because, I mean, I love uh, when, when people say, oh, don't mind me, I've got OCD, or, or you know, particularly the people that I'm working with, because I think I always swap that for ATD, attention to detail. And I, I think detail is, is phenomenally important, but I think there's great beauty in the small stuff as well. When you think of writers like, say, Colette, who spent a lot of time describing domestic detail and describing how careful she was about how she laid out her pens and her pieces of paper and the color of the paper that she used um, in order to create beautiful pieces of writing. But it was also the tools that were important. And, and, you know, some people might say, oh, well, what does that matter? That's just a pen, you know. But actually, if that helps focus the mind and create great thoughts to get down on paper, then it, then it is important. It is important to that overall sort of appreciation of everything you're doing. And perhaps, again, there's a clue there about living life each day to the fullest. I think people would call it mindfulness now. Um, I think that's a bit of a sort of overused term. But, but 
is that thing about appreciating the beauty in small detail um, and getting joy out of it. Because in the end, I think that's really what we have to try and do, isn't it? Get as much joy as we can and share yes. that. Well, otherwise, what is life for, yeah. you know, if we yeah, don't enjoy right. it? Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering, um, going back to the, when I introduced you in that um, your very impressive career, I was thinking when you, so as well as your life experiences, obviously you've interviewed so many people and worked with so many people. Have any of those people impressed upon you in a way of living life to the fullest? Yes, they have actually. Um, many, many, many people and from all walks of life. Um, and one of the first people who just completely blew me away with his power to communicate was a man called Joey Deacon. Now, when I was still at school, I read a book that he had written about his life. And Joey Deacon had been born um, in the very early part of the last century, in the probably, I'd say, in the sort of 1910, around that time. And he'd been born in what was then called a workhouse. Um, his mother was very poor and she'd given birth to him in the workhouse. And he'd been born with, they weren't quite sure what was wrong with him at the time, but it was cerebral palsy. And it got progressively worse through his childhood. So he couldn't speak, apparently. And I say apparently because many, many years later, when he lived in a wonderful, in fact, it had been a workhouse, but had then in the 50s and 60s been uh, adapted to uh, assisted living for um, people who were challenged in some shape or form. And he shared uh, a beautiful house. It was like a four-bedroom house with uh, three other men. Um, and two of their names, I remember, Ernie and Thomas. Ernie could understand every single word that Joey said. Now, to you or to me, and he would be the first to, because he described this in his book, they would sound like, almost sort of almost like grunts and quite curious noises but Ernie could understand every word he had the power to understand Thomas was the only one out of the four gentlemen who could write he wrote down what Ernie said and between them they created Joey's book wow. and this book if ever you can find it the life of Joey Deacon please I implore every to read it because it is, it's life affirming is what it is. Um, and then when I met Joey and had the chance to spend the afternoon with him and I met him when we were filming for Blue Peter and it, it was, it was such a bone. It was a complete surprise that I was going to meet him. And I was just blown away because when we did the interview, he would say, and then Ernie could translate and it became this wonderful conversation and and it was enlightening again all over again years after i originally read the book 
but it was such a gift to be able to meet him. And again, you know, I'm so grateful to have been in a position to have met people like Joey. Um, extraordinary man. Wow, he sounds fascinating. I love that, how they work together to create that book. And yes. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah, and it really was. I think, um, do you think, I'm trying to work how I would word this, as your career has changed over the years, do you have, what have been your highlights through that? Like what have, what have been those life affirming moments, not in terms of meeting people, but for you where you felt it was life, the experience was life affirming for you? Um, I'm trying to think. There have probably been too, too many of those to list really because they can be moments that happen when um, you you you're lucky enough to witness some extraordinary happening. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of thinking, talking as I'm thinking here. I mean, I was on a program called Hospital Watch um, back in the 90s where we spent a week in a hospital broadcasting live. And I, I, I watched people who had been genuinely terrified going into a situation, a procedure or whatever, and coming out the other side of it, just so covered in relief and, and, and just feeling so thankful for them and, and, and thankful to be able to witness the most important moment in their life, perhaps. A little bit like witnessing the birth of a child, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I have done that too. And that's probably one of the most ultimately life-affirming moments, I suppose. Um, and then things that have nothing career, but are all about the most important part of one's life, which is one's own personal life. And the realisation that you can feel love, uh, that's like waking up from a long sleep and realizing how that can heal pain. And I feel incredibly grateful once again to have experienced that. I love how everything is, you mentioned gratitude so much. It's one of my favorite words and it's just so, it really through everything you're saying, it's just, I'm just so aware of your deep gratitude for everything. It's really beautiful. Um, and it's really nice that you mentioned the personal experiences in that as well, because it actually answered my next question, which was, and what were the life affirming ones in your, in your personal life? And it's because it is that we can get so caught up in our careers, can't we, that we forget about our personal lives. Yes. And, 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 and I think that it's interesting, you know, I'm now at a stage in my life where the children that were involved in in my life earlier on I'm a godmum to half a dozen no not half a dozen a dozen or so um godchildren <laughs> and some honorary ones who you know I'm not necessarily an official godmum to them but I am sort of a godmother to them um and and they are now growing growing up and we were at the wedding of 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 one of them a few weeks ago and 
you know, to, to still have that huge involvement and they call me up and they ask my advice or want to come and stay or I can ask their advice. And it, it, it's, it, that's, that's fantastic now. That's sort of going on to another, another level. But, um, no, I, I, I can't tell you how, if I think back almost, yeah, almost five years ago now, I really thought my life was, was at rock bottom, was over. And if somebody had pulled back a curtain and said, no, it isn't, this is, this is horrible what you're going through now, it is horrible, but, you know, you will not only feel alive again, but you will be, it will be like you've been reborn, actually. Um, I wouldn't have believed them, but I want to tell you that is absolutely possible. And it's absolutely what happened to me. And I think when we're caught in that, when we're caught in that darkness, we can feel like the light will never be there again. And actually, it is. You really can. And the hurt and the, 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 and it is real pain. It is visceral. It is a real pain. And you just don't want to be feeling the pain. And it, 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 I, I, I do know how that feels. Um, the pain of loss. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I know that everybody's experience is going to be totally their own totally different and it may not be at all helpful me sharing this with you but but I feel I can I feel I can share it with you and I feel it may be useful to be able to say you know it can take it in time it is it, it, it is possible that some other influence will come into your life with me, it was another person and a very, very special person who, who also, he, he, he loved me, loves me. But what was fantastic for me was that he also loved Mike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that makes sense. Absolutely. Well enough and absolutely has huge respect for him. And was able to embrace all of that, all of that, and understand that, you know, I would always love Mike and that he would always be a part of my life, always, still is. And it was very curious here, Fee, that um, not long after I had re-met this man who had known both Mike and me for years and years and years, um, my then nine-year-old niece said to me, Auntie, yeah, yeah, I think Uncle Mikey has sent Rob to you as a gift. Wow. And it just knocked me out. And I said, you know what? I think you're right. I think you could be right. And I, I, I don't know if that's the case, but that is how it feels. It really does. That's so beautiful. And it's so... 
I think it's such an important message because people, I think, especially in Britain, we so often don't talk about loss and we also don't like to talk about what happens afterwards. And what you've encompassed there is that loss is real pain and and it is hard and it never goes away, but there can be beauty and love and compassion within that, which is such a gift. A, a great deal. And it, and it is that... It is that thing that Car- Carly Simon, wasn't it, who, wrote, who I think is is phenomenal, but she wrote in, um, what was the song from, um, there's more room in a broken heart. And there is. Yeah. There is. There's more capacity. There's more capacity for feeling everything, but there is more capacity for love. It doesn't heal over and close you off to love. It doesn't. I believe that. It breaks you open, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. And if you can channel that, if you've got the strength and the... Well, I think that that, that maybe is not in one's own hands. It, 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 you also have to give yourself up to the universe a bit, you know, and let things happen to you. You do. You know, I'm, I, I'm probably a bit controlling, but I, I think you have to kind of lose control every now and again. And I think that's an, it is about letting go, isn't it? And just going with the flow and and where the universe will take you. And I'm reminded I did an interview recently with an author, Nahala Summers, who's, um, her, she, when she was in her 30s, her partner went for a cycle and he had a heart attack and he passed away. And so her, he left in the morning and he didn't come home and he had no illness. And she talks about, similar to you about how that grief breaks you open but what she's done with that and the life she's created off the back of that and it's such an important message I think for people actually that it can create such love and beauty in amongst the pain yes yes I think I think it can um I think it can I I don't know that I would be strong enough to do that by myself um i don't know that i would but i i i think that if one allows oneself to to be open to experience to the possibility of experience great things can happen then yeah i think Sorry, now I'm th- now I'm thinking as I speak. So I'm so just absorbing all of that, and it's and just the way you describe it in such a beautiful way. And I think what I'm really struck with, and what I think is such an important message for listeners, is about that how a broken heart can hold more love, and it doesn't have to destroy you. It can open you up to to new to new things and to to more love and to and also that when you describe about always loving Mike and Rob being okay with that and the, the, the loving of just so much more love. Do you know, just I really feel that in your words. Um, yes. And I think there is, do you know, uh, I, I, I think there's a lot of luck involved in this as well. I have been very, very lucky to have some extraordinarily loving friends around me. Um, and family, 
and and I think that that has helped me tremendously. I mean, I, I'm sure that's come across in what I've already mm-hmm. said, but I think to 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 be encouraged away from bitterness without even knowing they're doing that, and to be encouraged towards a. a, a You'll understand what when I say, you know, the, the light, the, mm-hmm. the the more positive, um, creative, in 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 a loving sense, um, end of aspect of of of, of life, um, because it would be very easy to, to just close close up, close off, and and be bitter and almost resentful about what life can throw at you but then that's that that's a waste isn't it mm-hmm. it's, it's a waste of everything it's a waste it's it's and it's quite it's quite selfish in in one way in one respect but in the other sense you're sort of shooting yourself in the foot um and if you, if you can find the strength to put one foot in front of the other and to keep breathing and to keep concentrating on even in, in your darkest moments, just on that next objective. And I remember my dad saying this. I was going through a bit of a, 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 a low period years and years and years ago and, and wondering about what to do next and everything. And I remember my dad saying, Sarah, just concentrate on the very next objective. And I said, yeah, but what do you mean? Do you mean the next, the next idea in your life? He said, no, no. The next objective can be just opening the car door. It can just be putting the kettle on. It can be making the bed. Just concentrate on the next thing. If you can do that and then slowly build and, and be patient with yourself, I think that can also help you. He's a smart man. He was very, very smart and very funny. Very funny. That helps, of course. Yes, laugh, humour. Humour yes. does help. I think, and it's so important, I think, when we can feel lost. And well, two things that struck me there was when you're talking about your dad and when we can feel lost, the importance of just the next step, just not focusing on, you know, like you say, the next big idea or, the ne- or six months down the line, just the next thing. But also when you mentioned about, I'm just trying to think how you worded it. But, and my mind has gone blank completely unhelpfully. No, it is this thing, though, and, and I, I, I'm sort of hesitant to use the expression because I do think it gets overused. But there are people who may hear this and they would say, yeah, but she's just talking about mindfulness now. So I suppose it is a little bit of that, but it's maybe not even as high flown as that. It's a little bit more um, uh, prosaic in a way. You know, it's a bit more day to day, a bit more mundane and that you can find great beauty in the, in the, in, in the mundane things and, and just in, in, in cooking something. Oh, I don't know. You know, just, just create something and sharing something. Um, there can be great pleasure and positivity in that too. And it's about enjoying those little things, isn't it? Yes. And it's come it, back to me when, it, it my, really when my mind went blank about it's the, we always have a choice, don't we, of what we focus on and what we give attention to. And when you were saying about it being a waste, if you just close off, wasting what 
what the future would hold. Yes. Yes. I think it's just and, it's really and, powerful. And the about, you know what the other thing that occurs to me is you know, you have a choice too about which which influences you you let into your life and whether you and the people that you choose to listen to, um, whether they're friends, family or the the books that you read or the, 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 the music that you listen to. And, and, you know, one, there are points in one's life where I think you do have to be very kind to yourself. Um, or you should all be kind to yourself, but there are points where you need more nurturing and a little bit more of a kind approach um, than others when perhaps your armor is not fitting quite as closely as it might. <laughs> yep. And there are chinks in the armor and you're feeling vulnerable and you're feeling fragile. You know, that's the time when you have to remember you have a choice not to be with or to listen to the people who are going to bring you down, actually, you know? And it's such a powerful thing. Is It's one of, been one of my biggest lessons since my diagnosis has definitely been about choosing who I spend my time with and choosing very carefully and I think it's something a lot of people really struggle with and I certainly did before because I thought what well, you just I just have to spend time with these people but it's actually not the case and you do have a choice. Nick Curious can I ask you this um, uh, do you do you the people who you have chosen not to spend time with it, can, can you, is, is there a, you can't put them all into one category, can you? Or, or, or is there a reason, can you always put your finger on why it is that you've chosen not to spend time with them? I think for, it is varying things. One of the things is people who focus on or perpetuate drama so that I feel I've worked very hard with my own diagnosis and my treatment to not focus on the drama of it. And I was very much in the drama before of life. I was the person who would be sweating the small stuff, very on this uh, societal driven pursuit of success and was all caught up in the drama. And I feel life is it's too short for drama. I want real conversations. I want, and I'm not saying I don't have mundane conversations, but I don't want to gossip about people and I don't want to focus on what's on the telly. I want to have interesting, meaningful conversations and I want to have conversations filled with love and joy and gratitude. So that's definitely a factor for me. And also it's about focusing my time on people who are a little bit curious about life or their own personal development or who you know not going out and drinking but who would enjoy a walk in the woods so it's about my values have changed there's been a shift but definitely I'd say the one thing would be on that that drama I yes. really avoid that yes yeah I can I can I can very readily identify with that feeling um coming at this from the perspective of I as I say I, I've been I've been incredibly lucky to have just this lovely group of of friends who I call my lifeline support group yeah. <laughs> going right back over the years 
and and I'd like to think that I'm part of their lifeline support group as well um and even within the group of my friends there were people who I didn't make contact with for a long time and they weren't people who I, I mean I I I like them, love them very, you know, a lot, but mm-hmm. they were just people who it was sort of a self-selecting thing, really. This is gonna sound awful, isn't it? But no. but it's like I wanted to protect them as well from me for a while. You know? I I just I couldn't put my finger on why certain people I I couldn't be with. Um and perhaps Part of it for me was that being with them without Mike would be too yep. difficult. That the gaping chasm would, would make itself far more felt, you know. Um, and yet there were other people who, it's sort of in, a, in an academic sense, you'd think in, in my group of friends would engender that feeling, but didn't. And it was a more healing feeling being with them. Um, and and this, this sounds like I'm sort of giving them, grading them somewhere, and I'm not. Because I'm happily, I, I, I'm, I, I do feel in a situation now where I think I can face almost anything. I'm saying that touching wood, actually. But <laughs> I, think, I think I can. Um, but, but for a long time, you know, you one, one, one goes through periods of life when you're just not strong. And you have to be kind and careful with yourself and make those choices and or they make themselves is what I'm trying to say I suppose um they do and and you have to listen to it don't you don't you think absolutely and I think it is right and they and friendships they can change and they can come in at different points and they can go and they can work at different points and then not work at others and something that really surprised me that I was reflecting on when you were saying about um, the friendships, how they changed um, after Mike was that I found that some friendships that were just acquaintances before my diagnosis became some of my best friends. And then some of my best friends faded away. So they, there has been shifts and that, that surpri- surprised me at the time. It doesn't now, but how, because the dynamics have changed and the, so the friendships have to change, I guess. Yes. I mean, it's almost, it, they evolve, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and you're absolutely right about it. It's almost like an ebbing and flowing. It's almost mm-hmm. a tidal experience, but stretch that over months or even years that people can go from your life, but you know what? They can come back in. Absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's a continual, I think it's cyclical in a way, maybe, Um but not to feel worried if if things feel like they're ebbing because that can all flow back at a time. And we all continue to grow, don't we? We grow and change. And the person who who we become might get on even better with the person who that friend has also become. Exactly. Over a period of time. And, and there are people that we... we we need and need us at times at different times in life we have different requirements of each other um and and i think that's quite interesting how how that can work out as well 
I think something you said there that really struck me, and it's it's so obvious, but I've never thought of it, is that in the absence of a friendship, in a separation or an ebb of a friendship, as as one changes to remember that they are also changing and that when you come, if and when you come back together, not only have you changed, but they have changed and things could come together again. When they you could. said that. It's in a, in a, even better than they were before. They exactly. Yeah. And that's so beautiful. Yeah, I think it is worth remembering that because, uh, you know, we can panic, can't we, if we're not in touch all the time, especially now, Fee. With, with, with social media, where everybody feels like they have to be in touch and out there on it all the time. It's um, exhausting. It, it, it's exhausting and it's unnatural. It's an unnatural pace, I think. <laughs> it is. It really is. There's, there's, there's almost, for some people, I think, and this isn't a judgment. This is, this is, this is just how it is. There, there, there is almost... Um, uh, you you could one could conceivably be out there broadcasting or narrow casting to people 24 hours yeah because you it's almost like that film the truman show it never stops but i think that's the other thing is great to actually um pull away and breathe and not be part of that 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 dance that it's like the what's that um is it Hans Christian Andersen or is it the Brothers Grimm the fairy tale where she wears the shoes that never stop dancing oh yeah yes and 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 just keep they keep going keep going keep going um with the inevitable result um to 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 get off that merry-go-round and just not feel that you have to be present for everybody all the time. And just give yourself permission. I am, I'm conscious of time because I just, I'm laughing to myself because I said at the start, Sarah, it'll only be 30 minutes to 40 minutes and it's been over an hour. And it's because you... My apologies. No, it's me because I was just sitting thinking... Wow, how lucky all your godchildren are to have your wisdom on tap because it's just been this conversation has been really life affirming for me and um all your insight and your experiences, good and bad, have just created this wealth of information that I feel like I could talk to you for hours. Um so I'm sorry it's gone over how much that means to me that means such a great deal to me but I think that my godchildren would giggle if they heard you talking about it as wisdom um, <laughs> the fact that you have because it really elevates me to a level which I don't deserve but all I know is I get just as much I get as much out of them if they get anything out of me but also that it's been so lovely talking to you really lovely. and and I'm so glad we got to do this um, I, I mean, I knew I was going to enjoy talking to you and listening to you, but the fact that you've let me blether on for all this time, um, part of me is apologising, but the other part is just saying thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, it's been wonderful. I have one more question. So I end every podcast with the same question. 
Um, so as you know, the theme of the podcast is about living like you're dying. And so the question I ask everybody is, if you knew at 12 o'clock tomorrow that you were going to die with, with no pain, with no illness or your current health situation, um, how would you live your life today? Well, that's a tricky one. That is a tricky one. And I, I know this question was coming and I, I was struggling with it, Fee. Um, the short answer is I just have no clue where to start. I'm bouncing off the walls like a pinball thinking, yes, but I want to go and drink champagne. No, but I want to go and see Jojo. Yes, but I want to be making love. Yes, but I want to be doing this. I want to be doing all these things. But hang on a minute hang on a minute, it's all stopping at midday tomorrow and I haven't put my affairs in order. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't worked out what music they're all going to cry to or laugh or whatever. I haven't worked out this. (laughs) And that's coming from someone who's had to arrange a lot of this recently, you know, in the the last few years. And and so I suppose I, I would try my best to actually forget all of that and perhaps go and do something really outrageous and, I don't know, go to the seaside and run along with no clothes on. No, that would be horrendous. But, but <laughs> I go and jump in the sea. And I, I, if, if I was only given that amount of notice, I honestly, the short answer is I just don't know. The second answer is I would probably, it would be something to do with love. It, ha- it has to be. Um, and if that sounds too flipping romantic by half, then tough. That's what it would be. I love how you went full circle there from doing all this outrageous stuff and running naked on a beach to getting your affairs in order and then back to just the simple notion of just love. That was just a full, a full spectrum. It was beautiful. And I think it just proves how much. I didn't answer, did I? But I think no, you did. And it just proves how much life you still have in you and living and, you know, it just, you just ooze life and energy. It was just really lovely answer. Well, thank you for that. I just wish that some of it was a little more organized. I'm not very good at that. (laughs) I think that's all right. (laughs) And I like that there was a bit of practical um, funeral planning in there as well. Of course, Um, yes. That's got to be, I mean, that's got to be right. You know, the, the, the Green family, when at our darkest moments, we, we revert, and it's all down to my father, I think. We, we do stage management, you know? We, yeah. You have to start, you get that, you get the running order down, you get the script, you make sure the lighting and the sound and everything is fantastic because that's sort of channeling and that's what that's what we do so there is having said I'm not organized there is a bit of practicality about the whole thing yes absolutely and I can 100% I um, was a project manager and when I was diagnosed I wrote out and planned my funeral and one of my old colleagues says I can't believe you're trying to project manage your death so I can understand exactly the same as stage managing. Well, you know, that is exactly right. And I can, I can, I absolutely can. You know how people, they do birth plans. 
Well, yeah, yeah those always get the window because in the end they want all the painkillers and why the hell not, you know. Um, but here's the thing that you can do in advance that nobody can change if you make sure, you know, that, you, that you've got it all down and that they know about it. This, this thing you can actually, you can yeah. manage and they can bloody get it right. <laughs> I like that. I like that. And it makes life easier for everyone else oh, as well. Completely. Yes. Yes. Um, because Mike had helped me so much, helped us so much with my father's send off, as we called it. Um, even down to playing the spoons because that's what he loved to do. So everybody had to play the spoons. <laughs> uh, I got a very clear idea of what I should do for Mike. It didn't involve spoons, actually, but even down to where and where. And I mean, it sounds this sounds so strange now to be saying this. And I know we've talked for long enough. Maybe we'll have to do a part two another time. But um, not that I'm inviting myself, but I sort of am. Um, but, but, you know, I think to, to project manage that aspect of your life, which is a very important part of your life, I think you're doing everybody a big favour. I do. And I agree. I think it's, um, and it's actually, I'm writing my second book, Live Like You're Dying. And actually it is part of the book that, you know, we we can project manage that part. Everybody, healthy people as well with power of attorney, with wills, with funeral planning. And it, it actually, it's a gift to the living. Isn't it? You're completely- Absolutely completely right yes uh, okay to answer your question if I <laughs> then I'd get writing out that script right away now that's what I'd be doing <laughs> no be be running on the beach and enjoying love I think is much better if you've just got 24 hours okay. uh, well, <laughs> no but it was still in my head though see <laughs> I get I get the plan down first, then I go and run on the beach and and and, and do love. <laughs> Good, because they're more important. On that note, I'm gonna I'm gonna go, um, but I'm just gonna ask you quickly if um, any of the listeners want to hear more about you. What is the best way to find you on social media or website or anything? Where is the best place to find you? Um, I don't do a lot of social media. Do Twitter. I'm not on Facebook. Um, I'm not on Instagram yet, um, but I do. I'm on Twitter, and it's um, uh, at Real Sarah Green. That wasn't the title I gave myself. There are many m- more real Sarah Greens than I am, but but that was the title that I was given by 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 Mike. So that's how it stayed. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm there. Also, um, the closest thing I have to a website at the moment is uh, the website that's related to um, the company that I have called Flying TV Limited, which is all about filming from the air. Um, And if you've actually managed to listen to this whole podcast and you've heard me talking about crashing in a helicopter, you'll be amazed to find out that my business is actually all about helicopters. (laughs) That's the side of everything this again is, is a legacy from from mike and i took over the running of his company and so you can keep up with what we're up to on flying tv limited um flying tv.co.uk it's all there. 
Um, this has led to another quick question, but um, do you go in helicopters still? Um, well, not very often, but that's nothing to do with not not wanting to because I absolutely love it. Uh, I don't fly myself. I fly I fly the desk at work, the boring bit. But I love to be. Um, I love it if someone else is piloting. I adore it, and I'm not one bit scared. And I don't know why that is. I know it sounds crazy, but I've always loved it. But I don't go in very often, mainly because we have to save fuel because they are workhorses. And the lighter the aircraft, the longer we can stay in the air and not have to burn fuel because I'm very conscious of that too. Wow. Wow, that's... You're a braver woman than me. <laughs> Some people stupid, really, but... <laughs> Not at all. Not. I've been in a helicopter once and I paid for the, um, what was it called? The exciting experience or something where halfway through they nosedive it and I have never screamed so much. So, um, yeah, you are a braver woman than me. I would never, ever, ever go in anything that on purpose nosedived. <laughs> Certainly not a helicopter. Um, no, I just like gliding along and seeing because I'm really nosy. If you haven't already guessed that, and <laughs> a helicopter lets you be really nosy. It you know flying over London and just looking at uh, flying over anywhere really and having that bird's eye view. It's so beautiful. It really is. I feel very again. I'm so damn lucky. I know that. But as I say, I I don't do it for 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 joy very often only once in a blue moon brilliant well on that note we'll actually we'll actually end because <laughs> i could like i say just keep chatting to you uh this is the longest interview i've ever done but it's been an absolute pleasure sarah thank you so much for all your time and for your insight and your wisdom it's been really really life-affirming for me and i've really enjoyed it well that means the world to me thank you fee thank you sarah bye-bye Bye-bye. I'm Fee Monroe, and you've been listening to Live Like You Are Dying, the podcast. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, then go to your podcast app and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next time for another inspiring interview about living like you are dying. Thank you.